Yeah. Everybody good? Yeah, yeah. Let's get some things out of the way. It's a new shirt. Yeah. My wife picked it out. Some of you are going, does that dude got flowers on? Yeah, she picked it out. All right, so... Uh, yeah, thank you, Rob, for doing that for me. Uh, other day, hey, before we get into this, I'm going to tell you, this is one of those weeks where um, I hate my talk. <laughs> Welcome to Flatters, right? Meaning this is that uh, the last five minutes are going to be really, really convicting. When I wrote it, I told like Carl, who was up here earlier, I said, hey, I'm going to use this line. He goes, I'm not coming to church, okay? Because it's, it's, sometimes you come in here and going, that was nice. This is just going to stamp all over your toes today. So you might want to leave now. Okay, you stayed, so you have to stay to the end now, okay? So, so welcome, right? Well, welcome back to week three of our unpacking this idea of faith. What it is, what it's not, what it does, what it's not intended to do. And today, what would faith look like in a person's life if they really do have the kind of faith that Jesus commanded us to pursue, all right? As a matter of fact, one of the hardest statements for me to get my head and my heart around that comes from Jesus is when he said this, is that if we keep on pursuing and growing in our faith, it is possible for us to experience this, this kind of life that's just mind-blowing. Like, like, this is how Jesus said it. Look at this. This is a promise from Jesus. He says, very truly, I tell you, so it's like, I'm telling you the truth, whoever believes, whoever has faith, whoever trusts in me, Jesus says, will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And you got to let that sink in a second, all right? Because what he just said is the things that those guys had been watching Jesus do, and he'd been doing a lot. And so this applies to us too. Like he's been healing sick people, healing paralyzed people, healing blind people, uh, feeding poor people. He's been casting demons out of people just by speaking to them. Just a couple of chapters before this, they watched Jesus raise a guy named Lazarus from the dead who'd been dead like four days. And Jesus just told them, hey, you put a faith in me, you trust me, right? You put your faith in me down the road, you'll do even greater things than that. Because I'm going back to the Father. And I'll be honest, that, that blows my mind. And I'll be honest, I've grown up in church, I've grown up in church all my whole life, nobody ever told me that was possible for people like us to, 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 to see and do the things that we saw Jesus seeing and doing. So how much faith would that take? And how would one ever come to have that kind of faith or that much faith and trust in God? And that's what I want to look at today. So before we do that, though, let's review a little bit, a few definitions and key truths so that we're all thinking the same thing, all right? What we've covered over the past two weeks. We started in this verse. It's found towards the end of the Bible. It's the definition of faith. It says, faith is, what's the word? Faith is confidence in things hoped for, like things that I hope are true, I'm confident they're true, and assurance about things not seen, meaning I haven't seen it happen yet because it hasn't happened yet, but because I have faith, I'm absolutely sure that it's gonna happen, even though I don't know how it can happen. I just believe it will, right? Now, now when it comes to God, faith looks like this. It says, faith is confidence that God is who he says he is. What do you mean? That he is good and that he's in control and that he's loving and wants good for us. So we have confidence that and assurance that God will keep every promise that he has made to us. Again, even though I, it hasn't happened yet, and I don't know how he could pull it off from here. I'm just sure that because he's who he is, he can do it. Faith with, with, with faith, I have confidence that he can and he will because he's God. Now, how could a person get there? How could a person have that much confidence and assurance in who and what God is like and what he has promised to do? In other words, million dollar question is, why should you trust God? Why should you trust him? And here's what the answers are not, okay? How about this? You can't trust God because God tells you yes on everything and does everything you want him to do. Therefore, I trust him. He's my Santa Claus in the sky, right? No, that, that your faith will fall apart. How about because of what God might or might not do in my current or my future life? Then, I, then I'll trust God. 
How about because of my ability to understand or interpret what God is doing in the middle of my crisis? I'm horrible at that. No, if we lean our faith against anything connected with what's going on right now in our circumstances, if our life gets better or worse, if the money comes in or there's no money to pay the bills, if, if, if the cancer is cured or, or the person that we love is destroyed by it, if we lean our lives against the conditions of our circumstances, it is a matter of time until something's going to happen in your life and you won't like it or you won't understand it and then your faith is going to hit a wall and if that happens enough times, you will bail on God and you'll go find something or someone else you can trust. And that's a lot of our stories, right? I thought God would and then he didn't. I thought God would never, but it feels like he did. I thought if I did this, like the magic code, remember that? I, 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 that would guarantee that God would do his part and it doesn't feel like God kept his, his end of the deal. And that's why a lot of us have been, are in right now, or will be in a crisis of faith. That's not what I thought God was gonna be like, right? And here, here's the one thing, and then we'll move on to today, right? Here's the one thing that we must lean our faith against in spite of what's happening in our life as evidence, as proof to, to give us confidence and assurance of what kind of God we have and what, what kind of things he does that we can depend on, that he's promised. And it's this, our whole faith system has to lean against one thing. And it goes like this, on a day in history, about 2000 years ago, God demonstrated his level of love and commitment to you when he sent his one and only son, his name was Jesus, to die as a sacrifice to pay for your and my sins. He was nailed to a cross, he died, he was buried in a tomb, and three days later, God raised him from the dead as proof that God is a God of love and God does keep his promises. That's our faith. And I have a very specific you might even call it, I have a very shallow theology, right? But I have a very basic filter for, for my faith. It goes like this. If you tell me that you're gonna be crucified to pay for my sins, but three days later, you're gonna be come back to life, and then you do it? Here's my theology. If you can do that, if you can keep that promise, I have a high level of confidence and assurance you can do anything else you say you're gonna do. If you can, if you can pull that off, I'll follow you. I'll worship you. Heck, I'll, I'll build a church and try to talk as many other people into, 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 into trusting you as well. That's my theology. So if I could summarize faith in one sentence from week one, it would be this. If you're taking notes, faith leans against Jesus and Jesus what? Nothing else, no one else. Right? My faith leans against Jesus alone, all right? One more thing about faith that we heard from Ben last week was so good, and then we'll move into today's teaching. This is what we heard. Faith starts with humbling oneself. It always starts with, you gotta humble yourself. That's, I gotta let go of pride. I gotta let go of self-confidence and then place my confidence and assurance in Jesus. Which means this, and this is a takeaway for me from Ben's talk last week. The biggest obstacle, at least for me, to faith is pride, fear, and insecurity. Oh no, what if? Right? Right Now, I'm gonna say that a, a different way, which will transition us right into today's teaching. This is, I'm just getting warmed up for intruding into your life, just so you know, it's okay? So the biggest obstacle to you doing what God is telling you to do is not because you're unclear about what God is telling you to do, but because you fear what might happen. You're afraid of the consequence. Your fear is greater than your trust that God will keep his promise to take care of you, period. And that's why we don't obey him. Now that's blunt, right? My, my grandpa would call that a poop or get off the pot statement, right? Fish or cut bait, because it's in your face. Like, like make a decision, are you gonna follow him or not? But, but over and over, one of the, the most repeated questions that Jesus asked his followers when they got you know, freaked out, when they quit, when they got scared or when they, they collapsed under pressure was, he just looked at him and go like, hey, where's your faith? Do, don't you trust me? 
See, see, here's a truth about faith that is lost on a lot, of, a lot of people, especially Christians, all right? I'm gonna lean into you for a second, Christians, all right? As a matter of fact, I think there are a lot of people in the world who shy away from Christianity, shy away from embracing faith in Jesus because they know what faith actually means and leads to if you take it seriously. See, the, the faith that Jesus was telling us to have wasn't simply a belief system, a collection of facts and information about God that we believe are true. It has, it has to be more than that. For, for, for example, if I, were, if I were to, and I'm not gonna have you do this, but if I were to have you raise your hand if you believe there's one true God and because God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on a cross to pay for your sins, all right? And then raised him from the dead. If I were to have you raise your hand if you believe that's true, most Christians would raise their hand. You can answer that for yourself, all right? Let me follow it with this. Big deal. Big deal. And here's what I mean. All that means is I would raise my hand. Here's, here's what it means. So you believe there's one God? Well, good for you. Even the demons believe that and shudder. See, every time, every time that you see Jesus in the Bible confronting demons, right, the demons are terrified because they immediately recognize him right? And they know who he is and what he can do. So you, you believe in God? You're in the same category as the demons. Praise the Lord. I feel better about myself, all right? I've got a good team there, right? So, so our faith has to be something more than that. The faith that Jesus had and the faith that Jesus told us to pursue has to be more than I believe some stuff in the Bible's probably true. So when Jesus talked about faith, Here's what he was talking about, and here's what we have to run after. Faith, as the first part we all know, faith is having a level of confidence and assurance in who Jesus is and what he says is true. Here's the part we leave out. That results in you acting, choosing, believing, behaving, and living differently than if you didn't have confidence and assurance. I believe, therefore, my life is different. So here's the question. How do you know if you really have faith? Here's the answer. By how you live by how to choose to do what you do. And you choose to live your life differently. And you choose to live your life so differently that if it will fail, if God is not who he says he is and doesn't show up and keep his promise. Because of faith, though, I'm gonna live differently. And Jesus better show up. So this is from James. He's the half-brother of Jesus. By, by the way, all right, who believed for mo all of Jesus' life, he believed Jesus, his half-brother, was crazy that he had actually lost his mind walking around and claiming what he was claiming and teaching what he was teaching. James didn't believe in Jesus until after the resurrection, until after he saw his, his brother with his own eyes. Then he put his faith in Jesus. See, James knew what faith had to look like. He writes an entire chapter in the Bible to describe this is what faith looks like. He says this. So and he's talking to Christians here. So what, is it? so what good is it, my brothers and sisters? What's the point? If someone claims to have faith, but has no deeds. And he asks a question, can such faith save them? Answer, no, apparently not, right? Now to be, to be clear, right? Save some emails here. James is not saying that a person is saved by doing enough good deeds. What he's about to teach us is this. If you have the kind of faith that actually saves a person, it will lead to that person doing things differently, not just believing different things. You following me? He goes on and he says this. He's gonna give us an example. I, I love this example. He says, so suppose, here's an example. A, a brother or a sister, so there's a person, right, is without clothes and daily food. If one of you, he's talking to people of faith, if one of you says to that person don't have enough food or clothes, go in peace. Keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good's that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action is, what's the word? 
is dead. And you know what? You agree with that. Whether you're a Christian or not, you believe in that. As a matter of fact, some of you, what the, the explanation I'm about to give, it's gonna be, this is why I don't like church. This is why I don't like Christians. They're no different than anybody else. See, see here's what I mean. If later on this week, you're on your way to work, you're on your way to school, you're on your way to lunch or whatever, and you look over and there's a crowd of people over on a sidewalk, and then you walk over there and they're like in the snow, there's a little baby. So like, obviously, somebody's abandoned a little baby there, and it's obvious this baby is hungry and cold and is in danger. And so you come on and come up around this circle of people and go like, hey, dude, what's going on here? And someone goes, well, we found a baby. And we're Christians. And so we believe that with God, all things are possible. So we believe, so we've been, we've been praying in faith that this baby finds peace. And, and somehow God who can do all things, makes this baby feel warm and will fill his little belly with food. We are also about to break into a round of, for he's a jolly good fellow for his little self-esteem and then a worship song. He's done it before. I believe he'll do it again. Hey, Jim, you want to, you want to join in? What would you do? You look at those people and go, y'all crazy Christians, right? Right. And you get out of the way and you pick that baby up. You'd wrap your coat around it and you get that baby to food and shelter. Why? Because this is going to be strong. It's going to make some of you mad. I don't care. It's my job, all right? Because it's true, and I'm right. <laughs> uh, but it's gonna make some of you get up and leave. Well, go in peace. Here it is. Um, faith and believe and God so love the world don't mean crap if they don't lead to a person doing something different in their life. It's just words, right? James, uh, some Christians are going, he said crap. I know. I, I clean that up because my wife's down here. Right? Look at this though, right? So, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith in God by my deeds. You believe, there it is. You believe there's one God, good for you. Even the demons believe that and, and shudder. Now, follow this as best you can, this next part, because James is gonna make some references because most of his audience is Jewish and they know what he's talking about and it's missed on some of us, all right? And I'll, and I'll explain it as, as best I, I can. But he's gonna give an example of faith and deeds. He goes on and he says this. He says, so... You foolish person. So he's just getting right to it. He's calling Christians on their stuff. That's what he's doing, right? You foolish person. You want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham, and I'll explain this, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on, on the altar? So back in the beginning of the Bible, Abraham was who God made the first promise that, uh, that Jesus would be born out of one of Abraham's descendants, which would outnumber the stars. But at that point, when he gets that promise, Abraham is really old, like 90. He doesn't have any children. But when he's around 100, he has a son, his one and only son, named Isaac. And then about 13 years later, God tells Abraham to take his one and only son Isaac up on a mountain and slaughter him on an altar as a sacrifice to God. And Abraham does it. And right before that knife comes down to kill, kill him, God stops Abraham, right? But Abraham didn't know God was going to stop him. He just trusted God. Somehow God's going to, I don't know how, I can't see it from here, but God's going to keep his promise. James goes on and he says this, you see that his, Abraham's faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made, what's the word? Complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Now here we're gonna land the plane on this one. You see that a person is considered righteous in good standing with God by what they, what's the word? 
do and not by faith alone. And again, James is not saying that a person is saved and forgiven by doing something good to earn salvation. He's saying that if a person has the kind of faith that saves them and connects them back to God, it will lead to doing something good and different in how they do everything. And if they aren't willing to do anything different in their deeds, James would say their faith isn't really faith. If it's anything, it's dead faith. And that's why nothing changes in that person's life. James would say this, all right? If faith didn't change your life when you were saved, he would say, you might not have ever been saved in the first place. Because faith changes a person. So, and I'm not in charge of that. But that's between you and God. So here's what we have so far. Faith must lean against Jesus alone or your faith will fall apart, matter of time. Faith must start with humbling oneself or healing and change won't happen. That's what Ben hit last week. Then faith must lead to active obedience or it's not really faith at all. So here's what I'm going to What would that kind of faith look like for us today? And to answer that, I want to look at an old, 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 old story in the Bible. It's just a couple chapters off of the story that Ben told last week about a, a military general named Naaman who had leprosy, who was cured after letting go of pride and humbling himself and dipping himself in a really, really dirty river. He obeyed what God told him to do. This is in 2 Kings chapter 4. If you want to remember that, you can read the whole story later, later today. But here it is. It says this. So, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. So Elisha's the same prophet from last week. Here's what she cries out to Elisha. Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. So time out. This lady has a big problem, a legitimate problem. And if you were, and this is what I'm trying to do whenever I read the Bible, if you were to try to put yourself into the story, put yourself in her shoes, you'd understand, yeah, this is bad. And she's probably very confused and frustrated. She says, here's what she's just explained. So her husband, who for years, in the words she says is, revered the Lord, meant my husband loved God for decades, obeyed God, worshiped God. This is a good man, a good godly man. We're a good family. And he died. No explanation of how he died. And now as a widow and a single mom of two young boys, she's broke. And one of her husband's creditors is on his way to her house to take her two sons away from her and put them into slavery as payment for what she owes. So yeah, she's in a panic. Wouldn't you be, right? I mean, no husband in a culture where women had no rights. They weren't even allowed to own property. If they had sons, maybe there's a chance. But they're gonna take her sons away from her so she has no sons to protect her or provide for her. There's no money. This is not just a, a blip. This is not just a, well, I guess my life's gonna be tougher than I thought it was gonna be, moment. This is a death sentence. And she needs help. And if somebody doesn't step in and help her, she will lose everything. You ever been in that, part, in that spot? So what, does she, what did she do? Again, where did she start? Well, I want to I look at where she didn't start, okay? Her life's in chaos. She's about to lose everything. What does she not do? How about this? She doesn't get together with all of her girlfriends and ask for advice, what do you think I ought to do? What do you think I ought to do? What do you think I ought to do? Let's vote. No, 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 no. She doesn't, how about this? She doesn't go hire a lawyer to protect, to fight for her protection. She doesn't go to a counselor to deal with the trauma about her hard life. She doesn't ask her sons to help her make a plan. Time out. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, except maybe the last one. 
right? There's a time and a place where we need to go get help. We need to go get legal advice. There's all that. I'm not saying that, right? But that's not the first thing she did. Where did she start? No, the first thing she does is she goes to God, represented by Elisha the prophet. I got, I got, to, get, I got to talk to God about this. See, my problem is so big. And my husband and I, we have trusted and we have revered God for, for, for years and years. And I know that God is good. I know that he will know what to do, which by definition, in faith, she asked God, how am I going to face this? What am I going to do? Well, let me say it a different way. While she's desperate enough to do anything, she also knows that she can only do so much. But God, right? There it is. But God who she and her husband have trusted for years, even though they don't understand the current circumstances, but God can do things that she can't do on her own. So the real question she's asking is not, hey, God, fix my problem. God, I'm gonna sit here on the couch and you fix my problem. No, here's what she's, she's meeting with God about. Hey, God, what are you and I going to do together about my problem? I'm gonna sit on the couch, you fix my marriage. Nope, it's not what she's saying. And she's not saying, hey, God, you stay in heaven and I'll work this out on my own. It's not what she's saying. Hey, God, what are we gonna do about what's facing us? What are we gonna do together? Pick it up. It says this. So Elisha, so Elisha's a prophet, so he's speaking for God. That's where he gets good. Elisha replied to her, well, how can I help you? Tell me, what, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all. Time out. Typical response. Typical response, all right? When things are going really, really, really south and you're in a panic and you're trying to figure out, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? And then somebody says, well, what, what do you have? What, 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 what can you do about it? The first thought that comes to your mind is nothing. I've tried everything. And the first thing to come out of your mouth is nothing. I, I, I don't know what to do. I have nothing, right? So write this down if you're taking notes. That's, nothing's not true. That's not true. Nothing I have nothing. Listen, listen. If, if God's going to ask the question, what do you have? Knowing the answer is nothing. He wouldn't have asked the question, right? Why? Because God isn't going to do something with anything that you don't have. That's just math, right? Right? So, so when the lady blurts out nothing, I wonder if Elijah looks at her and cricks his head and goes, mm, really? Not, nothing. Nothing. Right? And the lady's like, uh, and then she completes the sentence. All right. Your, your servant has nothing there at all. She said, except I do have this little jar of oil, all right? So how about this, right? Whatever God is gonna do as he keeps his promise to her, please hear this, because the same truth is gonna apply to you and me in a minute. It will be part of the accept part that she does have. God, God's not gonna ask you, what do you have? And, and you say nothing, and he goes, that's too bad, because if you had 100,000 in the bank, we well, can make some hay, right? right? He's not gonna do that. God's never looked at a person and said, I could help you. I could keep my promise. She just had a better job. Give me something to work with here. How about this? If you hadn't screwed up so much in the past, then I could help you. If you were smarter and not as dumb, all right? If you, if, if you just finished college, then I could help you. I could have helped you if you hadn't made so many mistakes in your past. If you had more of this, if you'd done less of that, then maybe I could help you. But sorry, given what you don't have, you're on your own. That's never gonna happen. Never. He's going to look at your life as it is, as messy and dark and as hopeless as oh, this can't be fixed as it might feel and go, so what, what do you have at your house? And your first response, nothing except 
this one small jar of oil. And here's what I'm sure this lady's thinking, because I know I, well, this is what I'm thinking. But what good is this? What, what good is this? One small jar of olive oil can't touch my problem. As a matter of fact, there's just enough oil in here for me to maybe have some flour, mix it with some bread, and have a hey, last meal with my two sons before I don't ever see them again. Not, and you don't want to, this? Now, t- again, time out here. I wonder what Elisha's thinking, right, during this conversation, as this crying mom has just buried the love of her life, about to see her two boys hauled off into slavery, standing in front of her saying, I don't know what to do. Can God help me? All I have is this little worthless jar of oil. I wonder what Elisha's thinking. I don't think he gets mad at her. I, I don't think he's disappointed in her. I don't think he's thinking, God is so disappointed in you. Why do you have such doubts, all right? If you really trusted God, you wouldn't be a blubbering mess right now. I don't think that. Honestly, I used to think that about God. The God was going to look at me and going, really, Jim, really? Like, like, like when, when Jesus looked at his followers, there's all these stories, when, when they failed and they got scared, uh, there's this one where uh, one of his followers named Peter is actually walking on water and then he panics, he looks at the storm and he starts to sink, all right? And Jesus came over and grabbed his hand and picked him up and he said something to the effect of, hey, Peter, you, just need, you need more faith. You need some more faith. But it, it wasn't in what I've always thought. It wasn't in a, a judgmental, disappointed way. Come on, Peter. You can do better than this. I, I think... This is how it plays in my head, right? I think it was the same tone. When Jesus looks at you or Elisha looks at this lady, the same tone as, I remember when I was trying to teach my, my kids how to ride a bike. And I'd have to, remember this? And you have the back of the seat and be running down the sidewalk like this. And they're like, don't let go, don't let go. And you're like, I won't. And you're lying. But you're, you're going down there, right? And then they keep going and then you let go and they keep going. And they're doing great until they look around behind them and realize that you're not there. Then it's like, drop, boom. And they crash and burn, right? Then I would run up to them. And you know what I would not do when I finally got up to, to them? I wouldn't yell at them. Really? I am so disappointed in you, right? You are a horrible bike rider. Why can't you be more like your brother? I never, I never said that. You should never do this ever. No, here's what I did. Here's what I did. This is what you did too, I hope, all right? You'd scoop him up and go, oh, buddy, you almost had it, right? Remember? You were almost there. You were so, you were, you were riding a bike. You, you, you can do it. You, you just did it. And I believe you can do it again. You ready to go? Let's go, let's go. And I think that Elisha is looking at this woman and he knows Hey, I know there's some stuff that you hope is true, but you don't see how this is gonna turn out any way good. But Elisha knows God's about to blow your mind. And when he demonstrates to you like what he's like and how good he is and what he's able to do. So you just hold on, lady, all right? So look at this. Elisha goes and he says, Elisha said, so here's the plan. Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few, like ask for a lot. Then go inside and shut the door between, behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to the side. Time out. That's dumb. No, that's not dumb. It doesn't make sense. It's not, I was gonna say positive. It's impossible. It's physical. It doesn't work, all right? And honestly, do you think that this is what had crossed that lady's mind? This is what God's going to tell me to do. Take the little bit of life that you have left and pour it out. That's probably the plan. No, pouring out what little she had left was not on her mind. Maybe this is what I ought to do. But when she hears what God tells her to do, what does she do? 
And before we look at what she does, we have to look at why she would do this. And the answer is, the only reason you would do this is because you have faith. You have the kind of faith that obeys and acts upon what God is telling you to do, even when you don't see how this is gonna work. So, pick up the story. She left him, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. And she kept pouring. And when all the jars were full, she said to her son, well, bring me another one. And he replied, there's, there's not a jar left. And then the oil stopped. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. You know, we're not really talking about oil and pots, right? See, see, here's what I think. I think a lot of us have what we call faith. And our faith goes like this. After we die, because we believe a certain level of information about Jesus and what he did on the cross to pay for our sins, we have confidence that when we screw up in this life, that we are forgiven and still connected to God, we feel a little less guilty and shameful about our past. But then after we die, here's what the, the trump card, we get to go to a place called heaven instead of hell, where we'll see Jesus and all the people that we miss who are already dead, all right? That's our whole faith system. So our faith for a lot of us mostly is mainly centered around forgiveness, now and later. And there's nothing wrong with that. Except it leaves out some stuff. Our faith isn't centered around obedience and acting now. I just don't want to go to hell later. But if faith leads to now, in whatever I'm facing now, which would explain why a lot of us would describe our faith and our walk with God as it's not very powerful. And many of us would describe our relationship with God as frustrating because we keep on waiting on God to do something for us in our direction to help us. And here's the statement that's so convicting. I almost, I almost left it out of my sermon. What if it's God who's actually the one waiting on us? You gotta let that sink in. What if God is the one who's saying, I have so much I want to do for you, so much I want to do in your life, and I've already told you what you need to do, but you haven't done it yet. But if you were to just take whatever you have, that little bit you have, and pour it out, I promise you won't be able to contain what I'm about to do in your life. What if God's message to you is, I have gallons, I have oceans of oil I wanna give you, but you're holding on to one little jar of oil because you've determined that you have nothing except this, and somehow this little jar is going to take care of you, but it won't. It can't. But what if God has something much better for you, but you can't have it until in faith you pour this one out? You can't see it from where you're sitting right now. You can't believe. You don't see how it's going to happen right now. And you wouldn't be the first. You'd be, you'd, you'd be like most of us. This, this comes from a, a part of the old part of the Bible, the Old Testament. This is God speaking. He says, look. So he's talking to believers, right? Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. Why? I'm gonna do something in your days. And we take days out and put, I'm about to do something in your life that you would not believe even if you were told ahead of time. I'm about to. So here's what we have, all right? Faith must lean against Jesus alone or your faith will fall apart. Faith must start with humbling yourself or healing and change won't happen in your life. That's what Ben taught us last week. And then faith, faith must lead to active obedience or it's not really faith at all. So let's, let's get really honest. You have a problem in your life? 
and you don't know how you're going to fix it and you need God to get involved in your life, in this part of your life because you don't know what to do and you're telling him what he needs to do and you're waiting on God to fix it. But what if God is actually waiting on you to do, to act, to obey in faith what he's already told you to do? But it's not what you thought he was going to tell you to do. It's not what you planned on doing. It's not what you want to do. And you don't see how that could actually help. What if, what if the widow had responded the way that you and I respond with God most of the time? What would have happened in her life? And the answer is she would have lost Everything, including the most important things in her life, her two sons, and she would have lost her oil. Why? And the answer is not because God isn't good and he didn't keep his promise to take care of her, and that's why, that's why she lost everything. That's not the answer. No, it would have been because, that's just, it's because she wouldn't let go of a stupid little jar of oil. Let me say it a different way. She put more faith in a stupid little jar of oil to take care of her than she did the God of the universe who promised he would take care of her. The question, is it possible that you and I, we have some part of our life where we're doing the same thing with God? And he's waiting on us. We're not waiting on him. Can you get more specific? Yeah, if you want to get really intrusive, all right? Well, the most stressful thing in your life is money, I bet, right? And you keep on praying, God, send me some more money. Send me some more money. Send me some money. And if you'll send, here's the deal. And if you'll send me some more money, then I will. How about this? God looks back and goes, I've already given you a ton of money and you haven't been faithful with that, why would I trust you with more? Why don't you pour out what you have? Well, I don't know, how would I? I'm on the other side of it. I'm, that, I, my, my most common prayer is, God, if you'll do this first, then I will do this, then I'll have faith in you. And his response is, I've already gone first. I sent my one and only son to you. I've already demonstrated I'm on your side. Now let go of your stupid little oil. How about that? So money, relationships would be the other one. We talk to all the single people in this room or single again or whatever, you're not married, right? And you're, here's what you keep praying. God, send someone in my life, send somebody in my life, send somebody meaningful in my life. The last 27 haven't worked out well. And you know what? God's looking at you going, I, why would I send somebody else in your life? You're not honoring me with your sexuality now. You're not honoring the, the last 12 people with your sexuality now. Why would I want you to break another person's heart? You take your sexuality and you give that to me right now and then we'll see what's on the other side of it. Do you trust me in that? <sighs> How about you just send me a, a 10 and I'll be good to her? No. You can fill in the blank here. You're filling yours in right now, right? God, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. And God says, I've already done this. Now you take another step. You pour out. You know, here's the thing. Nobody's thinking about, I, I can't come up with one. None of us are thinking. All of us have our fists around something like this, going, no, not that. Because if I, if I let go of that, then I don't know. How about pride? If I do that, I would lose my last bit of self-respect. Okay, then don't lose it and file for divorce because it's a matter of time. Let go of it and do what you need to do. What, and I'm not telling you what to do. God will tell you what to do. And you know, you heard him. And faith says, I'm gonna obey that. In spite of what might happen, I trust. If God's in it, he's telling me to do it. So let me, so let me land it with this, okay? Because you're going like, will you stop talking? Um, I get it. So I, I've grown up in church all my life. And I, we had Sunday morning church, and then we came back for Sunday night church, and then we had Wednesday night church. And Thursday Bible study. I mean, I'm church, all right, right? But, but here's the thing, when you grow up in church world, there's Sunday morning songs and there's Sunday night songs. And they're not the same songs. There's some songs you just sing on Sunday night. And one of my favorite Sunday night songs 
um, I, I remember, I haven't thought about it probably in 30, 40 years, and then we were talking about this talk with the worship team earlier this week, and I said, hey, this is what comes to mind. There's an old, 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 old hymn. It was old when I was a kid, right? Here's the words to it. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Jesus, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. And you know what? That is such a beautiful thought. But if I sang it honestly, here's how I would sing it. I surrender some. I surrender part of it. Uh, I surrender that, but not this. I mean, this is in your face, isn't it? It's like, we're not talking about hypothetical. Just give him your life. No, give him your money. Give him your sexuality. Give him your pride. Give him your dignity. That thing you're holding on to going, this is gonna take care of me. I'm telling you, it's a stupid little jar of oil. And it can't fix anything until you pour it out and have God replace it with something better. So I'm asking Nate to lead us through this. Just listen to it, and then we, we can sing it together in just a second. But you know, last week, Ben had us do this. He said, like, take your, your hands like this and just picture what it is that you're holding on to. And nobody can have it. Even God can't have it. The thing is, when your hands are like this and somebody wants to give you something, you, you, can't, you can't receive it until you do this. And that's where we started the service with. We're about... The way we fight, we fight with surrender. And that's not passivity, that is receptivity. God, you, you give me what you want, but until I give you what you're telling me to give you, I can't receive anything. So listen to this, and as it becomes your song, maybe it'll become your prayer. I'll come and I'll, I'll lead us in one more prayer, and then we'll have one more song, to, and then we'll, we'll get out of here. So Nate. And oh, to Jesus I Surrender all to Him I freely give, and I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily. Live. actually your prayer and your, your statement to God. So uh, what would that mean? 
more than you can imagine. It's one of the smartest things I ever did is I started letting my wife read my sermons before I come to stage and making them better. And um, she, she was listening to this talk and, and she said, you know, when you, back at Christmas when you talked about myrrh, and what did myrrh represent? I said, it represented death. She says, in the, in, the, in the Bible, when somebody poured out oil, what did that represent? I said, ah. You poured out oil to anoint a king or declare somebody a priest. I was like, that's good. You understand that when you pour out your life, say, Jesus, I'm gonna give you this. It's my money, it's my time, it's my, it's my relationships, it's my sexuality. I'm gonna pour it all out and I don't know what's on the other end of it except you. You're actually saying, you're my king. You're my priest, you're my leader, you're my savior. So all to you, I gladly, I gladly give. Let's stand up at all of our, our campuses right now and down at our, our Pando app, all our brothers and sisters online. And let me pray and then, um, then we'll worship together. And I, I want you to, I don't want you to just hit the parking lot and go, let's move on to the next thing today. There's something that God wants you to pour out and say, you can trust me on this. And you can't see it from here, but can you see me? Do you trust me? I'll take care of you and then you'll make a decision. And that's called faith, right? So God, right now, um, we don't wanna sing songs. We don't wanna just speak Christian language. We just don't wanna say or claim to believe stuff. We wanna step out into a life of faith, which means I wanna obey you in a part of my life that I haven't been obeying you in. I've just been asking you to fix all my problems, even though I keep creating more of them. And so God, I'm not asking you to fix my whole life, but there's this one part of my life, God, that I'm holding on to, and I need you to get involved with it. And so you've already gone first in my direction by giving me Jesus. So I'm already forgiven for my mess, but now I don't wanna live in a mess anymore. And so I surrender it and I pour it out to you. And I just wait for you to bring me something better than what I'm holding on to right now. And that's a risk, but I believe it's worth it because I believe on the other side of obedience is hope and peace and more than I can imagine. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.